Welcome to the Village Church Podcast Show, episode 15. I'm Josh Patterson, and I have the distinct privilege of introducing Matt Chandler and our special guest, J.R. Vassar. J.R., welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you. It's yeah. good to be here. J.R., for those who are not familiar with him, is the lead pastor of Church at the Cross in Grapevine, Texas. Before that, he spent, I guess, eight years, nine years, nine, yeah. um, in New York City as he founded Apostles Church there. and. Um, is the author of Glory, Hunger, God, the Gospel, and Our Hunger for More, and is married to Ginger with three kiddos. So, Jr., welcome, buddy. Thanks. Good yeah. to be here. Yeah. What, is, uh, what does Jr. stand for? <laughs> Josh, come on. Do you want me to answer that? I'm just curious. Okay. Jr. Vassar. It stands it? for Just Right, Josh. No, my official wow, are you my official name <laughs> you my official name is Charlie Lee Vassar Jr. Charlie Lee Charlie Lee Charlie Lee Vassar Jr. So I go by Jr. Yeah, I went by Scooter up until too. the second grade, <laughs> and then I felt in the second grade I'm a little too big for a Scooter. So my aunt Bert used to call me Jr. Uh, if you're going to take name advice from someone, take it from a woman named Bert. So I changed my name <laughs> to Jr. in the second grade. I've gone by that ever you since. You changed it, yeah. Yeah, you yes. did it like legally. You or you just... No, not legally. No, okay. I mean, yeah. So you're Charlie Lee. Charlie Lee. Charlie Lee. Yeah. Charlie Lee. Doing business as Jr. Yes. Yes. I got. I got a DBA uh, in the second grade doing business Brilliant. as Jr. Vassar. Brilliant. Scooter. We're glad Scooter you're here. Scooter Vassar. Yeah. Charlie Lee. Uh, Chuck, I could say more about that, but I'm not going to. For 18 years, how did I just find this out like a year ago? Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I feel like we could talk about this for most of the show. I I feel like my work's done here. (laughs) I don't know that it's going to be helpful. Some of the wounds, some of the hurts, some of the some of the baggage from. (laughs) Oh my gosh! Pull it together. (laughs) Okay. Let's talk about life at the village. I knew this. <laughs> I knew this would happen with Vassar. You might as well pause for a second. I can't. That's the first time in this show we've had that kind of, which I was anxious about coming in. <coughs> so just knowing how much we like to have a good time. Yeah. Okay. On this week's podcast show the topics are we're going to cover a little bit of life at the village talk about the gathering and and really how to think rightly about the gathering weekend services and then uh, on culture and theology we're going to discuss uh, really a theology of work and work as worship evangelism and cultural renewal Uh, so I'm going to start us off Josh just talking about uh, really liturgy and the gathering and how to think rightly about that um, I, I know when I got to the village and, and then hired Michael Bleeker to be the worship pastor, both of us, our background had been traveling, doing college events and youth events. And, and so really, you're not thinking about, like in an event like Passion or at a college retreat, you're not thinking about the gathering as a, a formative experience as much as you, we just plugged and played. I mean, Bleeker would sing you know, for an hour, I'd preach for an hour, and then we'd sing for another hour. And that... We, we kind of brought that with us to the village. And so really for several years um, at, at the village, we, we never really thought about the gathering as anything other than this time to sing and, and preach. And, and we saw the elements that, that maybe 
our parents' church did or that, that historic kind of high church um, did as being old and dead and not making a lot of sense to us. They were rote, if, if, if I could use that word. And then really two things happened for me. One was um, I, I was sent Mike Cosper's book, Rhythms of Grace, uh, being asked to endorse that book and read that. And that was a, a jostling read for me. And then um, David Brooks, an op-ed writer for the New York Times, wrote a piece called The Arena Culture in, in which he talked about um, the shaping force of participation as opposed to just being a spectator. And, and so the Lord's timing on that for me um, really, really jostled my soul to consider how we're building out our weekend services. And so now we, we've basically, and I know our people are beginning to notice it, we, we've built kind of the narrative arc, and we've been using kind of creation, fall, redemption, restoration as the grid, and then um, have built out a flow of our service so that the service itself tells a story, and it tells the gospel story. Um, and we found that in regards to responsive readings on confession and moving into a rejoicing in Christ paying the bill into kind of a hard benediction at the end or ascending at the end uh, is has really begun to bear some fruit as the people participate as opposed to just be spectators in the gathering. And so that's been helpful. Because it's not just us telling the story. They're participating yeah. in the story with us. It's not just one event. It's a series of events that over time we're being formed into a people and we're reminding ourselves as we gather uh, about this the story, which is the story above all stories. Yeah. I think it also gives people in their own personal times, they've been on Sunday gathering, they've been in a rhythm of yeah. that gospel. So when they sit down on a Monday morning with the scripture, they kind of get back in that. And, yeah. and they personally live in that rhythm. They sit down with their Bible and it's not just, well, what do I do? They know what to do because they've just done it with the people of God. You encounter God yeah. and you enter into the story of the gospel and um, and I think I think corporate confession. I mean, that's just a part of us as the people of God to come together and to confess our sins and to rejoice in the gospel. And so, I think it's beautiful. So, do you have any do you have any recommendations in regards to if someone's out there listening? My, my guess is there's a, a group of pastors that they might be intentional in some ways uh, about the worship, but it's probably more kind of creative elements as opposed to uh, which are great, but as opposed to thinking through the flow of a service and how we tell the gospel story and how we uh, invite our people to participate as we're in this together as a family. Are there books that helped you? Or I, I know they can listen to uh, the podcast show we did with um, Cosper. I think it was episode 12. And then uh, I know his book, Rhythms of Grace, is helpful. Uh, any resources over the years that have helped you think clearly about this or helped yeah, I think, didn't Carson and Keller, I think the name of that book is Worship by the Book, I think is what it's called. I think, yeah. Um, or it's Carson Keller and someone else. Uh, but I read through a large portion of that book um, in New York. And I think in New York I was exposed to more liturgical ways of doing church, just some of the, the circles we ran in there. I think coming from a Southern Baptist or an, an even free church tradition, that's liturgy is just not really a part of what we do. Yeah. And so... Um, you know, I think we talk about this, and there's some Episcopal brothers, or there's some Presbyterian brothers that go, "Well, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of how we're telling you guys this for a century." Yeah, yeah. and so <laughs> I think just getting out of our own denominational streams a little bit, and our own traditional streams, and saying, "Hey, what can we learn from the broader church?" And so, that, yeah, there's lots of stuff out there. Yeah, something as simple as I think we started to on um, on during communion 
at, at the end of our services, have everyone stand and we take communion together standing. Just something as simple mm. as that. It, it's been amazing, the feedback wow. a, about a sense of belonging, a sense of connectivity, uh, just by doing something as simple turn as... Turning the lights yeah, up. Yeah, keep the lights yeah. up. And, yeah. and I'll just say, hey, turn and look at each other. This is, this is us. This is the household of God. This yeah. is the... So that's good. It's fantastic. Uh, looking forward to the conversation uh, just now about work and worship and... And want to start by asking the question, why is this important? Why why talk about work as worship? Uh, I'm not sure that people all the time put those two together. The, it could live a real compartmentalized life, could see those very separate. Worship is what I do when I gather with the church on Sunday, and work is what I do kind of 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. But how, how does the Scripture put these together, and why is this an important topic for us to consider? Yeah. Well, if you, just practically, there's 168 hours in a week, and our people are in, quote, church, gathered together um, in a corporate gathering for about an hour and a half, two hours. And so th- there's there's that many hours left in the in the week. And we don't just disciple people for their private lives. We disciple people for their public life. And if whatever God's going to do, he's going to do it through all of his people in the domains and circles in which they live. And so... Understanding work, work as worship is just understanding discipleship. How do we follow Jesus in every dimension of our life, yeah. whether it's my home life or my work life or um, even church life? And, you know, I love Dorothy Sayers wrote so much about this, but she said we need to learn to serve God in our professions and not outside of them. And she had some great thoughts on that work is a sacred thing and it's a thing of worship. And she, she references Acts 6 where the the apostles say, look, it's not right for us to leave the preaching of the word of God to wait on tables. And she said it would be equally right for those that wait on tables to say it's not right for us to leave the tables to preach the word of God. So we want to serve God in our profession, not outside of it. And so I think it's just a holistic view of discipleship, number one. When when we think about work, and and maybe the the call that people are most familiar with is is work as an evangelistic opportunity. So, man, God's put me around these people. This is my sphere of influence, the people that I am around most often. And I think about work as an evangelistic opportunity, which is important. And, yeah. and we need to consider that and consider thinking about being a faithful witness, a faithful presence where we find ourselves, and, and not just a presence, but also one who... Uh, when opportunity presents itself to share the gospel and to share it in a way that's winsome and and careful and articulate and helpful. And people hear that. Uh, I I hope they hear that. I I hope that we're uh, being a part of churches that are promoting that because God has placed us where he's placed us for such a time as this and for such a reason as that. But let's talk about work as it relates to even theologically, is is work a result of the fall, or is work a pre-fall reality? Well, I think you see clearly in the scriptures that that Adam has tasks given to him by the Lord uh, to work and tend and keep the garden, and so work was very much present uh, in the you know before the fall. Although what we see is that there doesn't seem to be toil in that work, so it's work, but it's the kind of work that's life-giving and soul-satisfying alongside of... It's work, but not a job. Yeah. But yeah, sure. Kind of. Yeah, I think you can say that. All right. And I think even starting with God himself, I mean, the, the Scripture starts with God working. In fact, in Genesis 2, he rested from his work. And so when he makes Adam in his image, part of being in the image of God is that Adam has been created to be a worker just as God 
is a worker, and so God does give him those tasks to have dominion and fill the earth and subdue the earth. And so uh, Adam is imaging forth the very image of God as he carries out his work. So the takeaway here is 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 simple. Work's good. It's yeah. not a bad thing. Yeah. I mean, you may have a bad job, but work work in and of itself is not a result of the fall. Work in and of itself is a characteristic of, of God's nature. He he worked. His people, his image bearers work. It, it, it's a good thing. Well, and you can feel that in your fallenness. I mean, even in our brokenness, you, you finish mowing the lawn or you finish and you look at it and and there's something that resonates with your soul when you complete a task when you now that can very quickly become idolatrous Mm -hmm. and and that's genesis 3 right but um but man there's something in us when we do a job and we do it well there's a sense of pride that flares Mm -hmm. up in our hearts so you can see even in our fallenness the the man far from god still enjoys completing tasks seeing something broken fixed seeing something that needs to get done, done, that, that it resonates with our soul, that that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's just the imprint of, of yeah. God on the soul of man. So thinking about then the brokenness of it. So you've got, you've got the goodness of it. You've got even as a broken man or broken woman that there's a sense in which this work is good. But in what sense has the fall really marred work? What sense has, is this broken? Is this um, it is a post-fall reality. Flesh that out. Yeah, well, <clears throat> definitely sin has frustrated work. And so Adam is going to have to fight the ground to get bread from it. And he's going to have to toil and he's going to labor. But I also think because just because sin disorders our loves, we don't relate rightly to work. We don't, we don't, rate, we, we don't relate to work rightly when it comes to love. Our loves get so dis- disordered. And so if you put it on a spectrum, we either end up hating it or hoping in it. We end up loving it wrongly or loving it too much. And that's where work starts to become a real idol for us and it becomes a, a, a burden for us is when we're not related to it properly with regard to how we, how we love it. And so there are some people who just expect way too much out of their work and they put their hope in it. It becomes sort of their savior to give them a sense of security or identity or significance and because it lets them down, they end up hating it, or they spend their life frustrated by it. So, so I, th- I think just the, the curse of the fall on, on creation itself frustrates work. But I think because of what sin does to our disordered loves, I think that's what makes work such a, such a challenge for us. Does it, if we're thinking about the, the frustrating part of work, and, and we've, we've kind of introduced the reality here of idolatry and how that plays itself out, and that can go a bunch of different ways here. So we can hate it. We can put our hope in it. So hating work could be, um, I just don't like it. I just don't want to do it. I don't like it. It's, it bothers me. Uh, it grates up against me. Or it, I put my hope in it, and I'm on this treadmill chasing something that this work will never really provide me. And so for the believer, the, the, what, what's afforded to us through Christ is that our identity is no longer in these horizontal things, but our identity is upward. It's, mm-hmm. it's vertical. Namely, it's in Christ. And so being in Christ means my identity is not in my profession. My identity is not in what I do or, or whatever it may be, but my identity is now in Christ. And so how, how then as a disciple, as a believer, do I bring that to bear to my work? How does that free me up? What, does that, what lens do I walk in now that, that I simply didn't have before? What what for the believer should work now look like? 
Yeah, I, I think in one sense, um, Christian should be um, known in their workplace as being uh, hardworking. You know, they, they work unto the Lord and not to man, so they're not really serving the bottom line as much as they are uh, giving themselves to the glory of God in their work. So to make it real practical, they're, they're going to be to work at time, on time. They're going to work hard. They're not going to be known for being the guy that's always kind of over in the snack area and or, or always kind of kind of showing up in your office and, and distracting you. They're going to be hardworking. Um, they're going to be ethical. They're going to walk in a lot of integrity. Um, and and I'm, I pray they – I've tried to encourage the men and women at the village, I want you to succeed in work. I, I want you to get promotions. I want you to be CEOs and CFOs. And uh, I, I want you to climb as high as you can as long as – you're not sacrificing your integrity or finding your identity in it or sacrificing your family. Yeah. Yeah, again, I think when we go back to those those loves, I think Jesus redeems work in the sense that he, he does enable us to love it rightly, to yeah. relate to it rightly. So I'm not looking to it for my identity, but I'm also saying how do I honor him in it? How, how do I please him in it? That's part of the doing the work is under the Lord. That behind every boss and behind every board, there's the Lord Jesus, and I'm doing my work as unto him to, to please him and to honor him. And I think for Christians, we sometimes, if we think in two terms of explicit and excellent, some people think for work to be a Christian work, it has to be explicitly Christian. Yeah. Like if you're a musician, you have to write explicitly Christian lyrics for that to really be honoring to the Lord. When I don't think the call is to being explicit, but being Excellent, and and that really is the call. So you can be a musician who writes beautiful music, but it doesn't have quote Christian lyrics. Um, it's just excellent. You know, you can be an artist, and it doesn't have to be some sort of uh, Thomas Kincaid sort of uh, landscape. It can just be a beautiful work of art that's not explicitly Christian, but because it's excellent and because it's beautiful. And I was in New York. I went to the Ninety Second Street Y and listened to Marilyn Robinson lecture and she talked about beauty and she said anything that we create that gives people a sense of beauty that gives people a sense of beauty on the heart actually is giving them a sense of god upon the heart who is capital b beauty Mm -hmm. and so it doesn't have to be explicit but it can be excellent it can be beautiful it can be good and so when we do our work as under the lord we do it with excellence that not only honors the lord but it gives people a sense of there's something bigger going on here. I think when I'm thinking about this and it can get, it can get kind of poetic sounding and, and it may lend itself to the musician, to the artist, to the poet, to the writer where they can express themselves in, in a way that could maybe be a little bit more easily construed as beautiful or lovely. But what, what about the, the business person who they're working in, in Excel spreadsheets all day? Um, some of us have a real aversion to that and don't find those necessarily beautiful. I know there are some guys and gals that they really do. They, yeah. they really think it's <laughs> sure. lovely and beautiful when, yeah. when everything's coordinated well. So I think it goes back to your point of excellence. And, mm-hmm. and what's driving this is a heart that's postured, and I love how you said it, of looking past the work itself to the Savior who's invited us into this good work, mm-hmm. meaning my boss is not just my boss. I'm serving my boss unto the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm writing a proposal with the best of my abilities, to the best of my capacities, with the best of my preparation, and I'm doing it 
unto the Lord. Like, l- let's flesh that out, the, the unto the Lord kind of reality. Well, and James work. Hunter's going to talk a bit about what he just simply called faithful presence. So if you're an artist, you're, you're given your, your skills and your abilities to, to paint this beautiful thing, and, and that's faithful presence in the domain in which you're working. But, but the operations guy who's digging around in spreadsheets, and he, he in the same way, uh, is being a very faithful presence because the what my guess generally is that guys who find guys and gals who find spreadsheets beautiful might not find the piece of art or the the more kind of um, what we tend to think of when we talk about beauty as as aesthetically pleasing as the order and the and and vice versa. So um, the the faithful presence of the operations person um, is going to create beauty in that domain and in that world among those somewhat ordered like he is or she is. Um, and, and so he's, he's working unto the Lord with spreadsheets and systems and structures, and the artist is working unto the Lord with paints and words and pencils. And, and so I, I think it has a lot to do with the, the domains that the Lord's put you in. So if you think of Psalm 139, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, which I, I think has been hijacked by a lot of women's ministries as though it just applies to women, and, and it doesn't. It's a text that, that sits over all of us as being made in the image of God, that he's, he's designed us a specific way. I mean, we're wired. We, we're drawn to certain things. He, he's wired us. I mean, we see it clearly in the Scripture, four particular things. Um, and so... This is so that the glory of God might be seen in all domains, so that as we work unto the Lord, regardless of what we do. I know we had a guy here at the church who worked for Oshkosh for years, and he was like, I just don't know how me making little kids, um, uh, you know, overalls is going to somehow, you know, serve the cause of Christ. And it was one of those things, brother, you, you, I mean, who else is in this domain? I mean, you, God's put you yeah. there. He's gifted you. I mean, think of all the things that lined up to make you, you know, put you in the position that you are as kind of an upper-level executive in a children's clothing almost empire. Yeah. So serve the Lord with gladness, work hard. And and so I, I think it has to do with the domains and and not kind of you over here being beautiful and you over here being spreadsheet. Yeah. I think it's the other, the other aspect of this is doing it dependent upon the Lord. Like, you know, the first place we see anyone filled with the Spirit is in Exodus 31, and it's an artist who is given skill to do his work. And so there's a certain level, level of skill in any vocation that we do that the Spirit of God can empower and give to us so that we can do it with excellence depending upon the Lord. But I also think doing it <clears throat> as an act of love to our neighbor. You know, Luther called vocations the masks of God. This is how God actually bestows his gifts upon people is through vocations. And so uh, the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Luther says the way God meets that is through, you know, a farmer who grows the the wheat and and through a baker who bakes the bread and through a sales clerk who sells the bread in a store owner's store. And so he uses all these vocations as a mask of God to bestow his gifts upon people. He said God himself is milking the cows through the vocation of the milkmaid. And so we have to begin to see our vocations as the mask of God, God giving his gifts through earthly vocations. So if you're an educator, God is using you to give the gift of education to young children. If you're a physician, God's using you to give the gifts of healing to people. If you're a lawyer, he's using you to give, hopefully, to give the gifts of justice to yeah. people. So it's not just the vertical dimension. I'm depending upon the Lord. I'm doing my work as unto him. I'm doing it 
excellently. It doesn't have to be explicitly Christian. You know, Luther was Luther said a Christian cobbler doesn't just put crosses on shoes. He makes good shoes, right? Dorothy Sayers says the first job of a carpenter is to make good tables. And so if to glorify God that way, but also to say, in the way I carry this out, it's going to be an act of love to my neighbors. And so if I am building a spreadsheet and I'm doing it for someone and they're going to be making a presentation, it's an act of love to make sure I do that on time. I do that with excellence. I do that with clarity. And I give exactly what was asked of me because that's the way I show love to this person. And and I think that's a a key element uh, for us and how we tackle our vocations, keeping our neighbor in mind. So thinking about perspective, the importance of perspective, and I love this because just like anybody, we get caught up in the Monday through Friday. I'm I get up, I go to work, I get up, I go to work, I get up, I go to work, I have a weekend break, I get up and I go to work. You know, we're all checking emails all day long. We're inundated with the pressures and the realities of this. So to be able to to step back or to get up above and to see, and I love how you framed it, with I'm contributing to loving my neighbor. And so what I'm what I'm doing, hopefully by God's grace, is is walking in human flourishing. I'm helping Mm -hmm. humanity flourish. I'm not causing humanity to flourish. I'm faithfully doing my part in hopes that we as a people, those who believe and those who don't believe, um, I want it to be a better place for them. I want to love them well. I want to make good shoes. I want to make good tables. And and this kind of brings us into the conversation about cultural renewal and in cultural renewal, human flourishing, how these things go together, and how my job as a cobbler, a carpenter, a lawyer, a business person, all of that fits into this. Let's talk about how getting up above and seeing maybe the grander picture of work as an element of loving my neighbor well, as as really taking part in human flourishing. So, I've historically tried to teach here at the village out of out of two passages to kind of help people see and understand. Uh, the first was the Psalm 139, that you've been made a specific way. And then the other was the Acts 17, where um, the scriptures begin to say that the times and boundaries of your habitation were set. So you, you've got a God who um, is intensely personal, um, and, and I get kind of the community that we're in as Christians and the world that we're in as Christians, but that we have been uniquely designed and uniquely placed by God for his glory so that there's this this type of ecosystem that God's created where um, the, he knew that the gifts that he put in um, some of the entrepreneurial business guys in this city who attend the village or members of the village that that he uniquely wired them and uniquely placed them for such a time as this um, to push back what's dark and to cultivate what's light mm-hmm. and and so that's the, the the way I've always tried to frame it and explain it is hey you you need to love who you are not wish to be someone else mm-hmm. and then take advantage of where you are and where you've been placed and the opportunities you've been given and so that's how I've tried to coach it over the years at the village just to almost in I mean just nonstop go no uniquely wired uniquely placed for such a time as this yeah that's good yeah i i we could stay in the clouds on this and if i think you just brought it down to just brass tacks like look at your office and kind of the culture of your office and uh where is there just brokenness in that and how do you bring the values of the kingdom to bear upon that even when you can't use the vocabulary of the kingdom necessarily using the values of the kingdom. So you don't play office politics. You actually say, how do I better serve my coworkers? How do I help my coworkers, coworkers to succeed? How could I actually 
lend some of my time and effort to help a coworker with a project so that they actually get it done on time. And I mean, that is radically subversive and that looks yeah. nothing like the thing of this world, but that looks a lot like the values of the kingdom. And so ha- having, having that drive us so that if I'm an educator, I'm not just helping kids pass test. I'm, I'm, I'm reintroducing language into their life that is kingdom kind of language, like virtue and, and forgiveness and compassion and justice and using literature to awaken those things with them, create appetite in them for those things that only Jesus can fulfill. And so I'm not just simply helping them pass some standardized testing. I'm opening up a world of the values of the kingdom of God, not necessarily using the vocabulary of the kingdom. And so, so I think, I think we could live in the clouds, but you can get right down to brass tacks and just say, how could I change the culture of a work environment, the, the actual place that I work, just through compassion, through justice, through mercy, through love, uh, through selflessness and service? Um, I think that really brings about the renewal of a culture. So it moves, it moves beyond a product, and it, it starts moving to our interaction with people. Mm, yeah. So it's not just a cobbler making shoes. It's a cobbler making shoes for people. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a carpenter making a table for a person. It's interacting with other people in such a way that, that I'm loving them well. And, and I love how you said, even if I can't be explicit, because I, I realize some of our brothers and sisters are in context where, where they don't have some of the freedoms that other people have yeah. and how to bring the values of the kingdom, the life of Jesus to bear in a place. Ultimately, Jesus is going to move people towards people yeah. uh, and and that we're loving them well. I mean, there's so much here. There's so much to think about, so much to talk about. And and obviously we think it's important or, or we wouldn't have dedicated an entire show to that. And it's important because this is where we live. Yeah. This is where we live day to day. This is what we do day to day. And everything that we said here applies uh, not just in the marketplace, but, but in the church as well. Sure. And I think, uh, sadly, uh, it's, it's all too familiar uh, that, that those who serve in ministry have lost sight of this reality as well. And so it's just a good call for us to consider all of this. JR, thanks for being on the show yeah, with us. It's always a yeah. joy. I know, I know the intro was a little wheels off. But we, just, we could not. <laughs> Most of our interactions are. Together. <laughs> yeah. But man, we love you. We're so, we're for you and oh, just appreciate you, you so much. Your friendship yeah. means a lot. I know to Matt and to me. And so thanks for being on. We do look forward to uh, next episode, episode 16. We're going to have David Platt on the show. And so that should be intense. And we'll look forward to that. But I uh, also want to point you just as we close to our website, uh, most of the things that we have talked about today can be found there on the website, uh, which is thevillagechurch.net. We look forward to having you back on the next show. 